This is Donald Miller. Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast. This is season one, episode two. The topic today is problem. You have a character in a story and you can't really get the story going until that character has a problem. It's also true in branding. Our customers are the hero and they have a problem and we're in the business of solving that problem. I'm here with my co-host, JJ Peterson. JJ. I'm so happy to be here because all of my problems are going to be solved today. I'm convinced of that. <laughs> That's the brand promise. <laughs> yeah, it is. You are supposed to solve all my problems with this podcast. So. Well, we can't probably solve all of those problems, but it is a business principle that people are walking through your door because they got a problem. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you're walking through the door of a pet store, you got a problem. You, your dog has fleas or your dog is hungry or whatever. Yeah, you need your lawn taken care of. You need food for lunch. That's often my problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Chick-fil-A solves lunch. Yes. That's the the problem of lunch. It solves all my problems. And they they solve it very well. (laughs) Yes. So episode two is all about solving problems. Businesses understand their character, who their character is, what their problems are, and how they can come alongside that character and help solve those problems. Tell us a little bit more about kind of this idea from a story brand framework. What does it mean? to understand your customer's problem. Well, if I talk to a business leader and I say, hey, what problem is your your customer dealing with? If there's a pause, we've got a problem, right? Yeah. I mean, we need to know, we need to know right off the bat. You know, the, the problem that StoryBrand customers are dealing with is they're not being heard. Nobody's understanding their website. They've got a great product, but nobody's listening. They're having trouble getting the word out, right? We are able to articulate those problems, which means we can write marketing copy and websites and email blasts and speeches that address our customers' problems. Stories are about people trying to solve problems. Branding is about people trying to solve problems. And so we have to understand that. I will share a little something really interesting to me that parallels between the way narrative frameworks work when you're writing a screenplay and the way business works. And it's this. There's always an external problem in a story, right? Liam Neeson is trying to disarm a bomb to save his daughter. That's the external problem. But if you have a a story, a movie about an external problem alone, you'll lose the audience. In other words, there has to be something deeper. And the, the thing that's deeper is the external problem exists to manifest an internal problem. And it's almost always the same. Liam Neeson is wondering if he has what it takes to disarm this bomb. And he's full of self-doubt, and he's on a journey. This engages the audience. Can Liam Neeson do it? Is he going to be okay? Does he have what it takes? Because they identify with that in their own lives. So a story about disarming a bomb becomes a story about a soccer mom raising kids and trying to balance a career, right? They identify with that. Here's why that matters. Brands tend to sell solutions to external problems, but people buy solutions to internal problems. In other words, if I'm a lawn care company, I can sell you know, lawn care. I can come weed, eat your lawn, and mow your lawn, and fertilize your lawn. But really what people are going to buy is a feeling that their lawn looks better than their neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or uh, a lack of frustration they have by spending their weekend doing their lawn instead of playing with their kids. There is an internal problem that the external problem your business is manifesting. There's an internal problem that your customers are feeling. In other words, you do solve an external problem as a company, but your customers are feeling a certain way about that problem. And what they're really looking for a resolution to is that feeling. And if we can aim some of our marketing copy at resolving that feeling, it's going to go a lot, lot 
further. Yeah. Understanding that is so key. And today you have a pretty smart guy that you're going to be interviewing. Tell me a little bit about Mike and why you decided to interview him. Yeah. I met Mike on a camping trip. He was a friend of a friend. A bunch of us guys went on this camping trip and we were up in British Columbia kind of looking at the stars. And Mike tended to know everything about everything. And I, it was, and, but he wasn't, a, he wasn't annoying in that sense, but he understood how the constellations work and he understood. And we were kind of having, you know, we were all trying to get to sleep and we we're having a conversation. And I said, you know, I, we're going to sleep so well tonight. It's going to be great to get a good night's sleep kind of away from the house out in the wilderness. And Mike said, oh, I get, I get a great night's sleep every night. I just use biofeedback. Let me show you. And he was asleep within 30 seconds. Like we could hardly wake him up. He, he's that guy who just understands everything. Now, what's interesting about Mike, he's brilliant, and he really does deserve the moniker Science Mike. He's got a great podcast that half a million people or something listen to called Ask Science Mike, and another one called The Liturgist that another half million people look, listen to. But he spent uh, decades in the ad business. He was creating advertising, he, and he was kind of the guy at the ad agency who created algorithms to figure out who customers were and why they buy things. And it was at a point where he was asked by a, a client, not his own company, to come up with an algorithm that would help them sell junk food to diabetics that Mike said, I think I'm out. <laughs> he actually took it back to his firm that he worked for and said, they want me to do this. And the firm stood behind Mike. And so, you know, a great firm that Mike worked for. Uh, but he just said, you know, I don't think I want to manipulate people anymore. I wanted to talk to Mike, though, about why the brain is drawn to problems. Why is it that the nightly news always has to say, there could be a storm coming, pay attention, watch tonight at 10. Meanwhile, there's no storm coming, right? And, and why is it so negative often. Why is the brain drawn to that? And then how can we, in a good way, use it in our marketing and not be sleazy or manipulative? Because it's important. If we're going to tell a story, we've got to focus on bad things that could happen and problems that we're experiencing. Otherwise, we can't offer a resolution. Mike had some un- freaking believable thoughts on this. My mind was spinning for days after I heard this interview. Oh, that's great. Well, let's dive right into the interview with Science Mike here on episode two of season one, Building a Story Brand Podcast. Okay, so where'd you get the nickname Science Mike? And, and is it okay for us to call you Science? Do we call you Dr. Science? Uh, what, what do <laughs> we call you? Definitely not doctor. No doctors here. <laughs> where'd uh, Science Mike come from? I was at a party in Denver. And one of the people at the party kept asking me questions about science. And uh, since I love science so much, the enthusiasm is contagious. So as this party wore on, more and more people were listening to me explain science. And a friend of mine who was there said, look at Science Mike enthralling the crowd. And uh, <laughs> my friend Michael Gunger was there and yeah. uh, Rob Bell was there as well. And when they both started calling me Science Mike publicly... There was no going back. I like it. I think it, it's hard to get known for something, and that's not a bad thing to get known for. I'm curious as to your, you know, this is a podcast about business and about marketing, and about messaging. Tell me about your history in the advertising world. What'd you do? Well, I, uh, I started my career as a nerd. So I was really into the technology and uh, information technology, specifically parts of business. And as I entered the ad world from the IT side, uh, it was right when advertising was turning digital, when the web was a big deal, and later social media was a big deal. And nerds like me had a better intuitive understanding of not only how technology works, but how technology influences culture. So I found myself more and more being called out of the server room 
to go into client meetings to explain technology. And uh, then I actually started creating um, campaigns centered around, you know, what we would call at the time new media, basically meaning social media or new technologies. And the returns on that work was very good for the client. And so we started to take a digital first approach in the marketing world. Our agency was the first one in our holding company to put clients on Facebook and Twitter and uh, and not only that, but to actually use the information embedded in social media profiles and uh, platforms to do targeted advertising. So it was huge success for our clients. And you and you know you're being a little humble here. You created the algorithms that a lot of us use these days. I mean, we go on Twitter and we we pay for leads if they follow this person, this person, this person have these buying habits. Then we're interested in getting their email address. You you pioneered that technology, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. We were we were really early in that. And uh, a lot of that code lives on. Wow, that's amazing. Well, it, it's incredibly effective. And this episode, it's about that, that idea that a customer has a problem, right? That the reason people are going to our websites, buying our products, knocking on our doors, asking for attention from us as brands is because they're trying to resolve some kind of problem. And so if we can speak about those problems in our marketing collateral... And and if our brand promises to resolve both external problems, meaning like, uh, you know, my kitchen sink is leaking, uh, and the internal problem of I'm so frustrated because I've never been a good handyman and I feel small about myself, those are external and internal problems that, you know, a plumber can offer to resolve. And focusing on those problems, talking about those problems in our marketing collateral is important. And you understand, like nobody I've ever met, what happens to the brain when they're encountering a story. And of course... A story is really a character who needs to resolve a problem. And I'm, I'm curious as to whether you'll just, first of all, explain some of the brain science behind what happens to us when we're listening to a story and why it's important for us as marketers to understand and empathize with and offer a resolution to the problems that our customers are facing. Well, first of all, it's almost scary when you start to read academic papers on storytelling in the brain. Because you realize that humans have very, very little ability to resist a good story. Hmm. Uh, I heard one anthropologist say that um, storytelling is one of you know the most ancient forms of uh, unique human expression. So even before we were farming, we were telling stories. This is something that really separates from other animals. And we are born storytellers. Is story just the natural way that we organize information in our brain? Is We're taking the data that's given to us as we look out on the landscape and we're putting it into categories and those categories happen to be the, the, the plot points of story? Is that, is, is that what story is? is it's, it's how we're organizing our, our world? One cognitive scientist I heard said that uh, the brain builds models of reality by throwing things away. So you're right now, every person listening is awash in information. Their eyes are taking in a field of view that's full of things nearby and far away. There's text elements. There's things moving. They're surrounded by sounds. And you're unconscious of most of it. Your brain is picking out little data points that it thinks is relevant to this moment and throwing everything else away because reality is complicated. And what story does is allow our brains to build a simplified, usable model of reality. And that's what our brains crave. See, we're machines of daydreaming. Uh, we spend up to a third of our waking time lost in fantasy, and that's because most of our brain's real estate, something called the neocortex, 
is devoted to trying to predict the future. You're constantly thinking about what could happen if this, what could happen to this, what if my paycheck comes through, what if my paycheck doesn't come through, what if I get a raise? And so we're lost in fantasy all the time. And what we found in brain scans is that when people are wrapped up in a story, they stop daydreaming and are fully present in a way they would be in like a life or death situation. And that level of focus, what we call attentional narrowing, means that the senses, the imagined experiences of a story become real to our own brains. So if you read about Harry Potter drinking butterbeer, your brain starts to imagine what butterbeer would taste like and even give you some of that sensation. Or if you were watching Star Wars and an X-Wing is flying through this channel on the Death Star, you feel like you're there, like you're moving, like the explosions are real. Your brain turns it all into real sensory information, even though it's fiction. And if you feel like you're someone that's pretty resistant to story, I would ask you, have you ever cried reading a book or watching a TV show or a film? And if so, you've become so enraptured in a story that you're crying for someone who probably doesn't even exist. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's phenomenal. And we've seen, and of course, the whole you know hypothesis of the story brand framework is if you organize your marketing collateral through the elements, filter them through the elements of 2,000 years of best practices and storytelling, you're going to get more attention. People are going to be more engaged because they don't have to think as hard and they understand the subconscious language that your brand is speaking. I, you know, you, you see this in Apple, you see this in Coca-Cola, you see this in, in most of the major brands that are succeeding. Is there something to that idea that if we spend the time filtering all of the marketing messages that we try to put out as organizations through some very simple filters, people are much more likely to engage? The science backs that up. When you just give someone a set of propositions, a lot of information, they feel like they're being persuaded and they have a natural cognitive resistance. But when you tell someone a story, they become wrapped up in that narrative and they place themselves in the shoes of the protagonist. In fact, story is one of the few ways that humans can really and truly experience another person's perspective. And when you do that in a marketing context and you include your brand's promises and values and solutions to problems in that story, instead of seeing a proposition to be evaluated cognitively, to resist, to uh, judge, instead, unconsciously, people take that information and claim it as their own. In studies, we've seen two weeks after hearing a good story, people will report the fact claims of that story as if they came up with them themselves. That's amazing. I mean, that's worthy of pausing to contemplate that you actually more or less begin thinking for people or embedding code into their brain. It's a bit of a frightening thought, both positively in the sense that we can frame wonderful stories for people's lives that might make them better wives, better husbands, better leaders, better uh, fathers and mothers. And we can also encode into people's brains that a, a person of, the, uh, of a different race is the enemy those elements of story can hijack people. Is that true? Historically, undoubtedly. I mean, the greatest heroes and villains of our cultures and societies are the best storytellers. The most successful politicians, leaders, actors, captains of industry. It's attached to a, an ability 
to get people to act by telling a different story, good or bad? Well, one of the one of the purposes of StoryBrand is to help the good people tell the best stories and and positively affect culture. So, in that vein, I want to get to this this idea that we need to understand our customers' problems. And you know, the, the basis of a story is you have a character that's at peace. Something happens called an inciting incident that destabilizes that person's peace, and their natural the natural tendency of a human being who has their, their peace has been destabilized, is to re-seek stabilization. So the story question is, are they going to be re-stabilized, right? You have a character and their, their daughter was uh, kidnapped by terrorists and she's strapped to a bomb. This person's peace, of course, is completely destabilized. And I've, I've, I've given that story to a thousand people and said, who's the actor who plays this person? Everybody, everybody to a person has always said, Liam Neeson, right? So <laughs> Liam Neeson has been destabilized and now he has to seek to be re-stabilized. And one important thing we need to do in our marketing, and I think it serves our customers very well, is as a brand, we have to say, what problem do we solve? When your work in advertising and your understanding of brain science, how important is it to understand our customer's problem and offer to resolve it? So remember what I said about large portions of the brain being um, devoted to forecasting the future, to guessing what could be. That's what makes humans successful. Hmm. And most of the problems that you see in cognition or psychology are of one of two types. Either someone has a negative situation that they can't figure out how to get out of, which is a future forecasting issue, or more commonly, especially in the West, they're imagining a problem that's coming their direction and they're not sure how to avoid it. And both of those come down to uncertainty and ambiguity. Human brains love certainty. We love to know that our guesses about the future are correct. And ambiguity is what happens when we can't gather enough information to uh, make good judgments or good decisions. In fact, this inability to identify problems well is the root of depression. So there's a very successful wow. form of psychology uh, called problem-solving therapy. And the core of that approach is a therapist sitting down and teaching the depressed person how to identify a problem, not even how to solve it, but simply to state a problem clearly. When you do that, you're using that power of story most effectively because you're allowing your customer to feel like the protagonist because the problem is their problem, not someone else's problem they have to imagine. As it relates to a brand, especially if we're a therapist or a life coach or a church or a nonprofit, having that clearly defined villain or problem that our brand is trying to defeat or resolve, uh, respectively, helps people feel more sane in in a certain way. Is that what you mean? It's yeah. That's it's the it's not just me effect. If someone in a marketing message is articulating my problem, especially if they articulate it better than I've been able to myself. I feel less alien, I feel more confident, and it makes me more open to the idea that there could be a solution to this problem if it's so well understood. You know, we, we really preach this idea that you are much better off as a brand, you will succeed more if you understand and empathize and offer to resolve your customer's problem than what most brands tend to do, and that's just talk about how great they are. And uh, I think you're, you're showing us kind of in the, in the neuroscience 
category why that's so true. Well, that's fascinating. Well, I mean, you know, the point of this is to teach us all we've got to start understanding our customer sphere. We've got to focus on it and we've got to offer a resolution. So while we're mentioning our customer sphere, we also want to offer some hope. And of course, that'll be later in the story brand framework. Mike, this has been incredible. We, we have two questions that we ask every guest at, at the end of the interview. And uh, I'm going to be fascinated by your answers to both. One is, what person out there on the horizon are you looking at saying, you know, I want to be more like them? What man or woman, leader, dead, alive, whoever, that you're looking at saying, I want to live more like this person and why? It may surprise you when I say Shauna Nequist. Oh, it's not surprising at all. I love Shauna. Um, I've gotten to know Shauna better over the last couple of years, and um, uh, boy, I just really don't like her at all. Um, <laughs> she is. You might be the only person on the. Well, plane. she's just. I can You know, I know her first through her writing and her speaking, and she's such a good communicator, and she's good at at not only giving clear information, but also speaking to people's emotions. Mm. And so I assumed with that much talent that she had to be uh, conceited or something. A horrible human being. Right. But instead, she's just really, uh, really consistent on stage and off. She's just a kind, caring person. So I'm good at understanding people's problems (laughs) and explaining them. But that level of empathy and even the almost poetic ways that she explores the human condition really inspire me. Well, Shauna is the author of uh, Bread and Wine, one of my favorite books, also Cold Tangerines, and she's, she's just got an incredible uh, thing going on as a writer. And I agree. I'm, when, when I spend time with Shauna, I want to be more like Shauna. And I agree. She would be one of those people for me, too. Okay, speaking of writers and books, what book have you read recently that you would suggest all of us go out and get? I am rereading right now Carl Sagan's Pale Blue Dot. It is... Uh probably my favorite book of all time um, because of its beautiful marriage of incredibly insightful scientific content, but told in like a really wonderful narrative form. And again, very poetic. So Carl Sagan, one of the greats of all time. And the book, the book is really about the origin of the cosmos or what is the, what is the book about? Pale Blue Dot is about the humanity's place in the universe. Wow. It's boy, it's a it's a brain bender. Yeah, I would think so. And billions <laughs> and billions of stars, right? That's <laughs> exactly Carl Sagan's famous exactly. quote. Mike, it is it is just always fascinating to talk to you. I swear we could go for hours. Our our normal interviews go for about twenty twenty five minutes. We try to keep it right in there on the the average commute time. This one has gone a lot longer, and there's an obvious reason why. You're a brilliant human being. You have a beautiful heart. I just hope more people in the world find out about you. Thanks, Don. Thanks for calling. That guy is a genius. To get an unedited version of the full interview, go to buildingastorybrand.com slash two. We have a great opportunity for you to pick up a free resource at 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. It is three videos that will revolutionize your marketing message. You can get those at 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. So now's the time where we're going to dive right into a web critique. Don is going to take a look at a website and point out different areas that can improve, ways that they can clarify their message. We do this so that you can get some tips yourself and see how you can apply this to your brand. So without further ado, let's dive right into the web critique. Today's website comes from a gentleman named Patrick Hanley, and he's on Twitter at the Patrick J. He tweeted us this website suggesting that we look at it. And it's PulseCamps, P-U-L-S-K-A-M-P-S dot com. And they're a flooring company. They sell carpet, tile, 
wood floors. Uh, that's obvious when you go to their website. So I'm looking at the website now, Patrick, and what I'm seeing is what I see on a lot of websites that we review. Some of our clients come through. They have a, a slideshow of images and wording that slides very quickly across the top of the page. Couple of things about slides. One, the more slides you have, the less people are looking at each slide that comes after. So they're looking at slide number one, they're looking a little bit at slide number two, then it tends to trail off slide three or four. We no longer like slides. We don't make websites that have slides. And one of the other common problems, you only have two slides, so at least you don't have a ton of them. One of the other common problems is they just move too quickly. So your slides are moving so fast that I can't read anything that you've got. So essentially, you've got above the fold on your website, the top part of your website, that really isn't communicating much of anything. And of course, you want to communicate very quickly a few uh, very important things. We call it passing the grunt test. That is within five seconds of me looking at your website, I need to know what you sell, how it will make my life better, and what I need to do to buy it. I need to get that information within five seconds of looking at your website. So go to Starbucks with an acquaintance who doesn't know what you do, open your website, have them look at it for five seconds, and uh, then close that website real quick and say, okay, can you just answer three questions for me? What do I sell? How will it make your life better? And what do you need to do to buy it? If they can't answer those three things in five seconds, you are losing sales. And I think, Patrick, you're losing sales. It's a clean website. I think it actually looks really good. You don't have a ton of clutter on here. As you scroll down the page, I see images of great looking carpet, great looking tile, great looking wood floors. All of that is a plus. That stuff is going really well. You probably do pretty good with this website. But above the fold, are you answering the question, what do you offer? How's it going to make my life better? And how do I buy it? You're not. And so you, what you want to do is you want to replace, and, I'm, and right now, if, you, if you're looking at this on ScreenFlow, I'm uh, hovering my cursor over this top section above the fold. Replace these slides with, a, with an image of a happy couple, uh, somebody happy, uh, laying on this carpet. You've got an image like that already in one of the slides. Make that much bigger. And then what do you offer? Floors that you will love, right? And so if you just use the line, floors that you will love, uh, and a happy person, you're primitively communicating something very, very simple, and that is you're going to get a floor that you love. Then your top right, right up here, Patrick, the top right of your website, this is your primary real estate. The eye goes to this part of the website. You have sales and specials. You have call us or find us on the map. I would put schedule an appointment right here. You do have a button that says contact us, but contact us is a little bit passive. It's not buy now or call us today or schedule an appointment or anything like that, right? You, if, As we scroll down your page, you've got discover the carpets plus color light difference. I, I like when anybody says, here's the difference between us and somebody else. You do have uh, some small text here that I doubt very many people are reading. When text gets that small, people just aren't reading it. But I would say, Patrick, if you just replace this top image above the fold with uh, an image of a happy person, floors that you'll love, uh, I think you're going to do better. Top right real estate, make that a direct call to action. Now, here's the other thing I would recommend. I would recommend getting people's email addresses. I would recommend putting something on this web page that says uh, five things, five reasons you can afford new floors. 
then you get their email address, that you get a PDF, and it might be uh, five things you don't know about carpets, five ways people rip you off with bad floors, just something, you know, three or five things that will get people's email address because anybody who gives you that email address, let's say one person a day gives you that email address, they are a qualified customer. There's no question. They are qualified to buy and you can keep talking to them and on-ramp them to a sale forever and ever. So just a few little suggestions. Image of a happy person. Tell them right up front what you offer. Uh, top right, make that your direct call to action. Schedule an appointment. Transitional call to action, offering something in exchange for their email address that on-ramps them as a customer, and you can call and follow up. Otherwise, this is a great-looking site. Super clean, not a lot to fix. And what I love about every suggestion that I just recommended for you, Patrick, is it's cheap. There's nothing expensive. You already got the image there of a lady laying there with her kid on the floor. Make that the whole thing. You don't have too much text. You don't have too much clutter. This website is really close, but it's amazing how when you make that little tweak, it's going to get a lot better. To get a video of the web critique along with an unedited version of the interview with Science Mike, visit buildingastorybrand.com slash two. Thanks so much for listening. Music from the podcast today is from the album Black Bear by Andrew Bell, which you can listen to on Spotify or download on iTunes. Our aim with this podcast is to help you stand out in a sea of noise by helping you get crystal clear with your message. On behalf of the Whole Story Brand team, thanks for listening.